Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we praise you and we bless you as the Lord of life, the redeemer of life, the one who raised Jesus from the dead and one day promised to raise all those who have trusted in him into a new creation, into newness of life. And we look forward to that great hope. We pray that you would bless us this morning with joy, with a sense of the life that you've given to us, with gratitude, with thanksgiving, and with hope. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Older generation always says to the younger generation, it goes so fast. Right? Always. I've been hearing that since I was a kid. My grandparents saying, Danny, it goes so fast, meaning life goes fast. My parents, Danny, life goes fast. But do you believe it when you're young? No. And one of the reasons you don't believe it is because the gap between your 14th year and your 16th year as you wait for your driver's license to happen feels like a century. So life feels like it's going to last forever until you start to advance in years and you become the older generation. Then you say to the younger generation, it goes so fast. Do they listen to you? No, they don't. And then they become the older generation, and they realize it's true. And they say to the younger generation, it goes so fast. But does the younger generation believe it? Of course not. And on and on it goes, the cycle of disbelief and then realization that life really does go fast. And that is a point, an, uh, an emphatic point of, of, of the scripture itself. This is what the Apostle James tells us. And this is background for resurrection hope. When he writes, he says, what is your life? That is your lifespan. For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. A mist? That little Windex bottle? It's there for a second and then it just disappears. You spray it again and just goes. And then disappears, it just dissipates. That's what he's saying. Your life is like that. You know, you, you, you can't grab it. You can't stuff mist into a bottle and save it for later. It's intangible. It's something that you just can't hold on to. It's unstable. He says, that's, that's life. Just a, a mist. Next time you go to spray your windows with Windex, think this is life. It goes <laughs> so fast. And by the way, Windex does not heal all your diseases. But the point of Jesus coming, of his living and of his dying, of his rising, is to change that so that we no longer experience just a mist, a tss -tss, but to experience the living, eternal water of God's life that goes on and on and ends up in resurrection. He came to change that so that we don't experience just a, a mist, a mist. And we have been... In the course of the last five, six weeks, we have been making our way through a, 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 a wonderful psalm. Like a, it's a song in the Old Testament, um, Psalm 49. And it talks about the negatives, that is that no one can ransom the life of another. No one can pay the cost so that you live on and on. But also the irrefutable facts that everyone dies, man and beast die together, that's the bad news. But right in the middle, verse 15, there is this wonderful gospel truth that points us towards the resurrection. Something that God has done, or from the psalmist's perspective, something God will do. So this is the verse. The psalmist, long before Jesus was ever born, anticipated something that God would do. 
But God, that is Yahweh, God revealed in the Old Testament and eventually in Jesus Christ, will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol. Sheol is just a word for the grave. So God's going to pay what I can't pay for my own soul and rescue me from the power of the grave, from the power of death. It's a negative. For, and this is the part that we're looking at this morning, for another because, because he will receive me. God pays the ransom, the negative, for our sin on Good Friday, fully and completely. Either we pay for it or Jesus pays for it. That's the simple math. But then on the positive side, he says, he will receive me. And I want to argue that there's no way God can receive you without the resurrection. There's no way that God can receive you into his presence without the resurrection. The resurrection proves that the first part of verse 15 was acceptable. The ransom was accepted, and we know that because Jesus rose from the dead. Your debt is paid. If he didn't rise from the dead, there would be no confidence whatsoever that the debt was paid. It also proves that what Jesus said was true. So when Jesus says in John chapter 11 that I am the resurrection and the life, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live he rose from the grave to prove those words are true. He calls the dead out of the ground to life. But it also proved that the gospel's real. The gospel is the good news. The early church went about proclaiming the death of Jesus, but also the resurrection, the lordship of Jesus. He's risen, and it gives people hope. We don't just have a mist. We have eternal life. Paul the Apostle, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he argued that if the resurrection didn't happen, then we're still dead in our sins, and we are of all people to be most pitied. If it didn't happen, verse 15 is impossible for God to receive us. So here you have this just a single verse, a basic synopsis of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God ransomed us. For those who believe on a Good Friday, and then the resurrection is what makes it possible for him to receive us. So let's just ponder those words for a couple seconds. This, by the way, is the First Corinthians text. It says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That last part, the first fruits, means he was the first of many. We'll be the rest. That is resurrection life. And by resurrection, let's just be clear. We're not talking about just a, like a spiritual living on after you die. Resurrection, by very definition, is the re resurrecting of the body and the reunion of body and soul back together so that we have hands and we have feet and we can run and we have lips to speak and we have taste buds to taste and eyes to see and ears to hear music. Resurrection life is physical and spiritual life together on a new creation, a planet renewed, no more pollution and no more climate change. So let's pause on those first, those five words. For he will receive me. For he. He's the one who ransoms. He's the one who receives. That is, this is a declaration of what God will do or from our perspective, what God has done. God's the one who does it. He's the one who 
who gives life. He's the one who takes life, and he's the one who resurrects life. In other words, it's not us. It's an act of divine power. Now, we have um, come a long ways in our medical advancements and so forth. Uh, things that they can do today to prolong life are, are incredible. Sometimes um, not always positive, but do a lot of things to prolong life. And I don't know if you followed the story last, last October, but um, there was a, this is the headline from, um, maybe it's not going to, there it is. New York Times, right? We already know that they use pig parts for valves, but they actually use a, a, a genetically altered pig's organs and kidney in a human. Now, that's surprising and kind of disturbing when you think about it. I mean, of all the animals that are adaptable to human organ donation, wouldn't it have been a horse or something a little bit more noble? But no, it happened to be a pig. Like I said, kind of weird. I don't have any ethical issues with that personally, although if you were a Jewish person, it might be an ethical situation. You can't eat pork, but could I have a pork kidney in me? I just, they're going to have to figure that out at some point. But there's, there's two things that humans can't do when it comes to the body. We can't keep someone from dying in the, uh, in the end. We might be able to prolong life, but we can't stop death. Much less raise someone who's been dead in the ground back to life again. We can't do it. And that if the miracle of the resurrection of Jesus is that he calls the dead out of the ground to live again. God called his son out of the ground to live again so that we could be not just a mist, but live eternal life. We have choices to make, two really important choices. We either live for the mist, we either cling to the mist, trying to like suck out all of the little wonderful things in this little brief little life that goes and dissipates, or we cling to Christ. We either live for the now or we live for him. Cling to the mist or cling to Christ. One lasts forever, this lasts but for a moment. He is the one who does this. God is the one who does this. He's the giver of life and he is the one who will receive us. Again, by way of resurrection. For the trumpet will sound... Paul says, and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body, the mist, must put on imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. Those words, imperishable, imperishable, immortal, we can't even begin to understand. Can't be destroyed, can't be hurt. Like that's resurrection life promised to us in Christ. What God will do. Like no more aging spots, no more wrinkles. No more hair loss. <laughs> no more joint pain. No more arthritis. No more skin cancer. No more cancer. No more glioblastoma. No more Parkinson's. No more Alzheimer's. No more dementia. No more memorial services. 
No more funerals. No more blood work. No more shots. No more surgeries. Imperishable. That is the hope of the resurrection. Raised, imperishable. God does that. God does what we cannot do for ourselves. So we cling to the mist or we cling to Christ. For he will receive. I love this action. You know, this, the word that's here translated receive is found in a number of other places in the Old Testament in terms of the Hebrew word. One of the places is Genesis chapter 8, verse 9, where you, everybody knows the story of Noah, right? He's, he's, the floodwaters have covered the earth, and he's on his boat with, with all of these animals, and he takes a dove, and he lets the dove go. He wants to find out if there's dry land. And the text tells it that the, the dove flies around, can't find anywhere to lay its foot, foot, nowhere to rest. So it flies back. And it says that Noah extended his hand and the bird landed on it. And he took, he received the bird and took him back into the ark. This is a, it's a, it's a, it's a word that communicates care and intimacy and attention. It's like you can just picture like God taking a hand and receiving you, taking you. It's the same word that's used to, King David, when it says that he received Abigail as his beloved wife. This is a picture of love. It's a personal care. Is God receives us to himself. Very personal. It's not distant. The opposite of receiving is like rejecting, dismissing, denying, distancing. I might get judged for this, but I'm an Eagles fan. The rock group, Eagles, just to be clear. I got to see him once in person in concert, um, back before Glenn Fry passed away. And I thought, by nature of who I was going with, that we would have seats like up towards the front. But no, we were in the nosebleed section way in the back. I could hardly even see Don Henley. I had to look on the jumbotrons, you know, that's, that's it. And I had a ticket. And if I did try to take that ticket and get closer, they'd say, sorry, sir, you have no access. Back to the nosebleed section. Distanced. That's not God. God's the kind of person like, I uh, just talk eagles still. It's like Don Henley saying, hey, I got a backstage pass. I'm going to take you in personally. This is a picture of God himself is the one who receives. There's no distance, no disconnect. We're told at the end of the Bible that he wipes away every tear from our eyes. He, that is God. He doesn't send a servant to do it. He does it personally for you. That's how personal God is. This is an expression of gracious love. Not because you're great or I'm great, but because God is gracious and loving. And this is what God wants to do with his people. He's the author of it. He's, it's his divine power that raises the dead, but then to receive us to himself. The greatest treasure you'll ever know is not what's in your bank account, not even the family that you have, but a God who bled and died for you and promises to raise you. That's the treasure. So cling to the mist or cling to Christ, our treasure. The one lasts for a moment, the other for all eternity.
because Jesus rose from the dead. And the third, if you haven't picked it up, I'm emphasizing different words. He then will receive, and then the last part is me. He will receive me. Personal acceptance. Oftentimes the Bible talks about us in the collective, like we're part of a family, like Jesus died for his church, and church is just a word for God's family. And we call each other brothers and sisters, and our older people we call mother and father. That is, we've been bought and saved as a family, as a church, and that's 100% true. And it's a wonderful gift to be part of a church family. I couldn't exist without it. Sometimes it frustrates me, but most of the time it's wonderful. We were made to be in family. We were made to be in community. That's part of how we were designed by God himself. So it's important to recognize that we are a we, that we are also an us, and to celebrate that and practice that. But that doesn't deny the fact that there's always also a me and an I, that God came to give us a new self, which is an I, a me, that you matter individually as well as the corporate part. So here the psalmist says, for he will receive me? Like me, the sinful guy? Me, personally? Yes. It's individualized too. God will receive me. Me. God knows your name, the uniqueness of your gifting, your personality that he created, your history, the part that you will play in his unfolding plan. There is a uniqueness to who you are, that he knows you, he sees you, not just the collective. Air Force guy, a number of years ago, I sat down with him at coffee, and he, did, he served a number of years in the White House. I don't know exactly what his job was, except that he served in the White House. And he's telling me over coffee what it was like to serve under two different administrations. And I will not name names so as to hide the guilty. But he told me, he says, there was one particular president who when he was walking through the halls of the White House would stop and ask the name of the enlisted men, ask for their names. And then he'd do his best when he walked through the halls and he saw him again to say good morning or good evening, and call them by name. He, he, this is a president who cared enough about enlisted guys to actually learn their name and call them by name and say, thank you for serving. And he said the next administration was exactly the opposite. Never stopped to talk to the enlisted guys. Never asked for their names. And he went on to say, wouldn't even look us in the eye. The first one was a joy to serve under because you could tell people mattered. The second one, he says, really hard to serve under because it didn't feel like you mattered at all. Listen, in the echelons of heaven, all of the celestial beings and ranks of angels, God sits on a throne above all else, and he knows your name. He knows your name. It's, it's, there's a me. He knows your history, knows your story, knows how you've messed up and was willing to die for you anyway. He knows you, not because you're great, but because he's so gracious and so loving. That's who he is. You know, the first person to see Jesus alive in the Gospel of John, after his resurrection, I should say, the first person is Mary Magdalene. 
And at first, she doesn't recognize Jesus. She thinks he's a gardener. Until he says one thing. He says her name. Mary. She instantly recognized him by the way he said her name. Because he loved her. And then she exploded in praise and joy and tried to hold on to him. That's, that's God's unique love for the individual. So this is the treasure of who our God is, who makes a way for us through death and through resurrection, paying the ransom, but also receiving, not just us, but also a me. That's the beauty of who God is. And so we gather this morning once again to be reminded of what we have in him, but also just to keep in mind, are we going to live for the mist or are we going to live for Christ? What are you going to give your life toward? The mist that just gone or something that lasts forever and ever and ever? So to those of you who believe, rejoice because Christ is risen. And if you don't know him, just it's the most, single most important decision of all of life. Am I going to live for the mist that I can't hold on to? Or am I going to trust in and live for Christ? Because, this is the fourth time, he is risen. Thank you. Lord, thank you so much for all you've done. Thank you for your great love for us. Thank you that you are a God of deep mercy and your grace is wider than we can ever imagine. Thank you. Thank you for giving us life. Let us hold on to Christ with everything in us, knowing, Lord, that everything else is temporary. And we pray this in his holy name. Amen.